Welcome to Conversations, a podcast by Christ Presbyterian Church of Auburn, where we sit down with our pastor, Eric Zellner, and discuss how God's Word applies to our lives. Hello, welcome back, everybody that's listening. Um, Michael Austinson here with Eric Zellner. We're discussing a fun topic today, aren't we? we another are. one. We are another fun topic. Another deep, fun topic. Deep waters. Deep waters again. Um, we're getting more efficient. Now, maybe if not efficient, we're we're getting we're recording more often. Now, we are. Yes. We yeah. are. Yeah. We yeah. had a little a, a little hiccup in the summer. It's, yeah. Summer is always hard to keep consistent. So this so is hard. working great. I think yeah. this is about our fifty second podcast. Fifty first. Fifty first. Is this fifty one? Okay, great. Yeah, we didn't we didn't celebrate fifty. Okay, yes, last last time we should have. Yeah. yeah. So this is fifty one. Yes, that's so, exciting. Fifty one. Can't, to, I can't believe it. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, I think we should do a 95 oh. celebration for the 95 thesis. <laughs> that would be great. Theses or thesis? Theses? Theses. Theses. Yeah, because yeah, it's multiple. Yeah. All right. Anyways, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the to the topic today. Um, again, a fun topic. Uh, a topic that I think we talk about a lot in the Presbyterian and the more reform side of um, Christianity, and I guess you could say evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but we're going to talk about God's sovereignty and man's free will or man's uh, man's responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people would point to Tulip and the five points of Calvinism right. and a lot of, you know, Calvin and uh, Luther, Jonathan mm-hmm. Edwards, um, people like that. But I wanted to talk about this and specifically, of course, because mm-hmm. Conversations is talking about how God's word applies to our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we use sometimes the Westminster Confession and other things, but um, yeah. just looking at scripture and looking at this. And so um, you and I talked about offline that the Bible is written to accommodate man's, um, you know, finite minds. I know Mm -hmm. you talked about this um, in your, in your sermon actually this past Sunday. Uh, So some things are above our capabilities, but how would you um, define God's sovereignty, I guess, to start off? Sure. I think the the easiest way to explain God's sovereignty is to think in terms of a uh, of a king uh, who rules and reigns over all things, and nothing is outside of his control. And so, um, when we talk about kings, we often are are limited because we're dealing with a human king. Um, when we're talking about Almighty God, there is no limitation on that which is um, under His control. In fact, the Bible repeatedly says. Uh, that all things are under God's control. Um, every human being, every animal in creation, every um, movement of seasons and winds, every incident that you and I would think of as, oh, that's coincidental, mm-hmm. um, that's all under God's sovereignty. So a few examples of Scripture uh, which tell us that God's control over everything is, is uh, powerful uh, Psalm 115 verse 3 our God is in the heavens he does all that he pleases uh, and then and then likewise Psalm 135 verse 6 whatever the Lord pleases he does Isaiah 14 uh, 26 uh, and it, and um, it's really 24 through 26 it just says um, God says as I have planned so shall it be as I have purposed so shall it stand and he goes on to say that which he's going to do but that's the real heart of of when we talk about God's sovereignty. This is a God who uh, plans it, decrees it, and carries it out. Um, 
and everything that he intends to accomplish, he always accomplishes. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about his sovereignty as it pertains to salvation, we're saying God is not only sovereign over every other sphere of life and the world uh, and the cosmos, he's also sovereign even over the salvation of sinners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not just in Isaiah that it says, you know, and I know, I know you referenced Isaiah and it says yeah. uh, the Lord purpose. And uh, this is, I mean, you read that. I've read, been reading that in Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. I mean, it feels like it's every chapter he's saying something like that. I've yeah. spoken, so I will do. That's exactly um, right. Mm. So in, in light of that and um, thinking about that, how would you define man's free will slash responsibility? Yeah. Uh, f- so I think the, the way to define free will is to begin by saying, uh, Man is not currently in in his fallen state free to choose. The only the only two beings that had free will were Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. and free in the sense that they were um, they were not influenced by the effects of sin on their on their heart or on their minds. So every they had the ability to choose to be obedient to God. They actually were free in that, and yet the the Bible in Genesis uh, makes it. It clear that in that creation design, it was always possible for them to um, rebel against God if there is obedience, mm-hmm. and that's the nature of the covenant that God made with Adam in Genesis one, two, three. That if there is obedience to, hey, do not eat this one tree. There's also the possibility of disobedience. Mm-hmm. That's that. That's what was woven into it. How come? Because obedience is only proven beautiful, um, loving, proper, Mm -hmm. if it is done in the context of actually um, having the possibility of doing other, Mm -hmm. but yet choosing to lovingly obey the Father. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about free will, that's really the only person, the only two that ever had free will. So every person after Adam and Eve sinned against God inherited from Adam and Eve not a posture of obedience towards God, nor nor even the possibility of obedience towards God. But rather, they inherited from Adam and Eve um, a, a posture which always chooses to obey, disobey the Lord, mm-hmm. and walk in our own way. So basically, the lie of Satan was: you don't want God to be ruling over you. Mm-hmm. You want to be on your own. Mm-hmm. Well, when man chose to be on his own, then he he inherited every consequence mm-hmm. of being on his own. He actually can't choose uh, apart from uh, apart from God acting mm-hmm. to save us. Mankind cannot and does not choose God. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about God's sovereignty, God really is sovereign. Nothing moves him. When we talk about free will, well, we really don't have free will. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet the Bible also holds a attention to this, and that was the other part of your comment. You said mm-hmm. it, God's, you said man's free will or man's responsibility. responsibility. Yeah. Um, the Bible upholds the fact that uh, though he lost his free will, yet man still is is responsible, according to scriptures, mm-hmm. to be obedient to the Father who mm-hmm. made him. Yeah. Um, and so we have the weight not only of our original sin, which we inherit from Adam and Eve, but we have actual sins which we commit against God. Mm-hmm. So we are fallen by both. Mm-hmm. Like, right, we, we, we failed to live up to God <clears throat> in Adam and Eve— by virtue of choosing to be our own God, when we enter into this world from birth, we immediately are born mm-hmm. selfish. Yeah. 
and then we do actual sins from that that uh, that prove <clears throat> that we are everything that our father Adam was. Um, so that's the way I would describe God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Uh, I just I always want to rethink the language of free will mm-hmm. because our presumption is, and this is the way most people would talk about it. The presumption is, well, I mean, I, I really am free to choose God or not mm-hmm. choose God. And uh, from my own background, I can tell you at 18 years old, at 19 years old, at 20 years old, I would have powerfully said with with lots of pride and obstinance, I really did choose God. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll come to this a little bit later. Why did I think that? I'll come back yeah. to that in a little bit. Yeah. So anyway, go ahead with the next question. Um, yeah, I had two actually things just from that. Um, I know Paul, I think just like a, as a as a point of reference, I know Paul literally says, hmm. I forget, I forget which actual book of the Bible it is, but he says, since Adam, since one man sinned, since then all yeah. have fallen. Sure. All have sinned. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another thing I just thought about, though, uh, what about angels? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. I know you said that, that Adam and Eve were the only two creature, or cr- I guess created people, mm-hmm. is what you said, yeah. um, that had the, I guess you could say the neutral will. Mm-hmm. I think if we put it in terms of neutral, right, that no one has a neutral will well, the now. the capacity to choose. Yeah, the capacity to, to choose, yeah. Yep. Um, is it fair to say that the angels had that, or just as a little side? Yeah, I think, it, I think it's a... Uh, we we get the sense that angels are are different from um from mankind and i don't know that the bible gives us enough on that mm-hmm. but the very fact that you know church tradition and 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 even as i preached through second peter mm-hmm. jude also alludes to this yep. too that some angels fell um and so it, it seems to me that they have a they have or uh a will mm-hmm. to obey the yeah. father and to, and and uh, those who remained with the Father are those who are still around the throne declaring yeah. his holiness. And those who rebelled, uh, Scripture seems to indicate they, they went w- with Satan. Yeah. Um, but it's more than Scripture, actually. Some of that is uh, is drawn from uh, Milton's Paradise Lost. We actually have a kind of a view of that particular part of the story that's somewhat been shaped by Paradise mm-hmm. Lost. So anyway, that that's a little bit of a... a yeah. Uh, run into left field but yeah yeah i just thought just since you know man you know god is not a created being jesus is not a created being the holy spirit is not a created being but angels and yeah humans are created beings right yeah. they, are, they are creatures i think what's you know what the bible does give us a sense that that angels long to peer into the mm-hmm. salvation that god has offered to mankind and that god has accomplished through christ mm-hmm. and so perhaps we can we can say what God has done by way of grace and mercy is profoundly intriguing to mm-hmm. angels. They're actually yeah. peering into it, but it doesn't seem that there's a like a like salvation for angels who rebelled against mm-hmm. God. Yeah, maybe we can say yeah. that. Um, that was just a quick little side yeah, note I thought great. about when you were yeah. you're talking. Um, okay, so then our question after the definitions: um, Does the Bible? I know we've talked about this a little bit already, but does the Bible give us a clear overlap of where man's free will and God's sovereignty kind of intersect? Like, do we have a, hmm. like, almost like does the angels peer into, do, right. can we peer into yeah. where that overlap is? You know, I, I wish we could. It seems to me that that part of what God is doing, is, he doesn't reveal that that place of overlap. Mm-hmm. And and so sometimes when I'm teaching on this, and I've, I've, I know I've mentioned this on our, on the podcast somewhere in the 50 episodes, yeah. but the, 
the the fact that when we're reading the scriptures, we're actually talking about the way that God condescends to communicate to human yeah. human beings with their finite minds. And so, as I mentioned in the sermon last week, our vocabulary uh, is connected. Uh, the scriptures connect to vocabulary that we can comprehend and understand and speaks of things. And so sometimes if I'm doing this in a classroom, I will draw a line on a, on a chalkboard or something like that. And I will mention that the Bible speaks to us who are below the line, right? We don't understand all the things of God. Mm-hmm. And it speaks by way of um, drawing us, inviting us, encouraging us to repent of our sins, trust in Christ, um, and really act as if we did have um, not only responsibility, but some kind of will to respond, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So it's telling us to do that. And yet the Bible also speaks of things which are above the line in the sense of uh, these are things that God alone understands. Um, how is it possible that a God who elects some from all eternity past and chooses them for salvation— and then likewise chooses others for condemnation. Mm-hmm. How is it possible that that God then likewise holds us responsible mm-hmm. for um, for our sins? Well, you know, the, the easy answer is, well, the Bible makes it very clear that our sin already puts us in a place of condemnation. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, when you're when you're condemned by virtue of your sin, you actually don't have the posture to be able to go, "Hey, Lord, I think that's unfair," mm-hmm. um, because I've, my sin has already indicted me. So mm-hmm. I actually am deserving of hell. So, so it, it shifts the the question then: Why in the world did, would God be willing to save anybody? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a little bit. Uh, it's not only a little bit. It's uh, shocking that God, in His mercy, would save mm-hmm. some. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I think you kind of already started our our our, our second our. Maybe third, fourth question. Sure. Um, how is man responsible if God is sovereign? Um, how is man responsible for their sin if God is sovereign? And I'm going to read a passage yeah. from Ezekiel 12. Um, and okay. um, Ezekiel is a prophet to Israel, and uh, the Lord uh, gives him this word. Um, and so he says this, uh, Ezekiel 12, verses 1 through 2. The, Lord, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, he's talking to Ezekiel, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, who have eyes to see but see not, who have ears to hear but hear not, for they are a rebellious house. Hmm. And so I, I want to use that passage to say, you know, the Lord has given this house, Israel, um, the eyes to see, but he has allowed them to see not. Mm-hmm. He has given them the ears to hear, but it has allowed them to hear not. Mm. Um, and this is in the midst of Israel, who is, you know, going into idolatrous worship and many abominations and everything like that. Hmm. Um, so how is this house, this rebellious house who has the eyes of seas, but the Lord has allowed them to see not how, hmm. how are they responsible for their sin? Yeah. I think the, the easiest way to answer that, well, there, it's a, it's a, it's a big question. The old Testament has to be understood in context of what God has revealed to, mm-hmm. to his people. And so when we think of the nation of Israel, God has revealed himself to this nation. He has given his word. He's given prophets to testify to them and and summon them to repentance and faith. And so um, you have to recognize what they've already received um, by way of by way of that. And yet Romans 1 gives us the indication that, 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 that God does 
uh, when man refuses to repent, mm-hmm. sin has a hardening effect. Yep. So let me, I mean, we're saying it this way. We're saying sin has a hardening effect. Sometimes the Bible frames it this way. God has hardened them in their sin, mm-hmm. or God has allowed them to be turned over to their sin, mm-hmm. or God has um, let them continue in their sin. Mm-hmm. But in every case, what we're describing is the exact same thing described with a little bit different vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So yep. in Romans 1, uh, you know, the Bible says God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. That, that phrase, giving them up to, um, is is surrendering them to the lust that they actually want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Romans 1 passage is, is not just, it's not a, you know, a testimony just simply against Israel. It's a testimony against fallen humanity. Mm-hmm. Yep. That sin has this hardening effect that continues to build. And so when God uh, gives you over to your flesh, you're getting precisely what you want, mm-hmm. which I think is what Paul talks about in Romans as well concerning Jacob and Esau. Mm-hmm. That that Jacob I love, but Esau I hated means that he really did turn him over. He, he turned him over to what he really wanted. Mm-hmm. And the New Testament continues to testify that that in the end of his life, Esau never could come to a place of repentance, mm-hmm. though he, you know, and I'm saying quote, quote unquote, sought it with tears. But but the scripture is also very clear. He didn't seek repentance with tears. He felt bad that mm-hmm. things didn't work out for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. I say all that to say that Romans one answers answers the question. You're, they're being turned over yeah. to it, right? But I think an important thing to mention too: the Westminster Confession of Faith is really uh, very detailed on this. Mm-hmm. It wants to draw a very sharp line. It's in Chapter Five of the Westminster Confession of Faith, in Section Four. It says the Almighty Power, Unsearchable Wisdom, Infinite Goodness of God, so far manifest themselves in His providence that it extends itself even to the first fall, like Adam and Eve and all other sins of angels and men, and that not by bare permission, meaning he didn't just permit it to happen, but such as has joined with it a most wise and powerful bounding, uh, which is not a word that we would use anymore, (laughs) and otherwise ordering uh, and governing of them, right? So bounding meaning control over it, governing of it, in a manifold dispensation, which means a period of time, he did it in this way, uh, at this time, to his own holy ends. Mm-hmm. And then this is what the, the Westminster Assembly decided to say. Yet so, as the sinfulness thereof proceeds only from the creature, creature and not from God, mm-hmm. who being most holy and righteous, neither is nor can be the author or approver of sin. Mm-hmm. So it's actually the Bible... <clears throat> they're stating what the Bible says. Yes. James says this in James chapter 1, 13, 14, 17. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. God can't be tempted with evil, neither does he ever tempt a man. But everyone's tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust mm-hmm. and enticed. Um, and ever, you know. So looking at the Ezekiel passage, I think what stands out to me is the, the fact that uh, God has revealed himself mm-hmm. to them, and yet they've chosen to sin. Mm-hmm. And then the Lord allows them to have their sin, mm-hmm. and sin has a hardening effect. Oh. And so uh, God is not responsible, and yet He intends to use all of that for His purposes. Holy ends, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I just just even thinking more. I love that. I love the way that Westminster 
says that and just talking specifically about the creature mm-hmm. talking not about the creator not talking about god but talking about the creature yeah and how it proceeds from the creature from us mm-hmm. um you know it's not something that the lord does tempt us with um well the, the language of proceeding there in the westminster confession of faith is also um it's intending to make sure that we understand all things that that are good proceed from the Father. Mm-hmm. All things that are, are not good have proceeded from the corruption or twisting yep. of things that He originally made. Mm-hmm. So here's the creation, yep. twisted and deformed by mm-hmm. by the creation itself. Absolutely. And almost, I even think about this too. So maybe I'm answering the question a little bit, but sure. I think you know a lot of people. There's a number of people that hear Calvinism, they hear the five points of Calvinism, they hear. Um, those things um, or God's sovereignty in the way that we're talking about it right now. And it almost seems like a cold hearted, okay, the Lord's going to do what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Frozen chosen is the, is the yeah. thing, but actually this actually promotes and inspires us more to actually evangelize mm-hmm. and to actually make the Lord's no- name known. That's right. Um, because it is, you know, saying like your sin proceeds from you, but the Lord does give good gifts mm-hmm. and right. And so then it is our responsibility to, to make known, the offer. Right, the offer. And I think that's the you know, that's the issue of the line that I was describing earlier on the chalkboard. The Bible speaks by way of summoning us to repent of our sins, come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so um the I think the thing that J. I. Packer said this in, in his book, Sovereignty, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Um but it's basically this, that, that the sovereignty of God actually empowers us to a kind mm-hmm. of freedom so mm-hmm. that we don't have to be those who are coming up with the most compelling arguments mm-hmm. or or uh, I'm going to pester this person until they finally repent of their sins. That There's no power in that mm-hmm. because God is sovereign, mm-hmm. because God's the only one who can change hearts. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I'm freed to share Christ. I'm freed to encourage people to repent of their sins mm-hmm. and trust in Jesus and recognize this offer of salvation. Um I'm not weakened in it. Mm. That was when I came to realize through I mean, it was literally God um <laughs> some something like dropped scales from my eyes. Mm. I was so arrogant and prideful in my own belief in human responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um but I I had very little understanding of God's sovereignty and when the Lord very clearly made that obvious to me through the study of scripture um, it was the most humbling, shocking, embarrassing realization <laughs> of my Christian life mm-hmm. because I had been taking so much pride in that. But, you know, just as um, just as the Lord dropped the scales from Paul's eyes, uh, just as the Lord dropped the scales, in, in a sense, from my eyes in this way, um, our scale, the scales of our eyes can be dropped when we look at the Scripture and realize there's a powerful, sovereign king of the universe who's invited you and me not only to participate in, sh- in sharing this offer of salvation, but he also, and, and this is where I would love to kind of bring us to conclusion, because this this matters immensely for mm-hmm. sake of our comfort. Mm-hmm. Why does any of this matter? Why does a sovereign God, why does human responsibility matter? Well, I was recently reading in um, Romans chapter 11, and, and I found this to be so helpful because God uses the example of the nation of Israel and they're hardening, um, and he uses this illustration of, of an olive tree. And uh, he, he basically says the Lord has chosen to sever from from the branch an olive, I mean, excuse me, sever from the, the vine an olive branch, and he's broken it off, and that's the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. And in his grace, he has grafted in 
those who would come to saving faith through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And then he, he says it this way, uh, they were broken off because of their unbelief, but you should stand fast through faith. Uh, so do not become proud, mm-hmm. but fear. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a helpful reminder, right? That to believe in this doctrine of a sovereign God uh, doesn't cause us to become arrogant mm-hmm. or haughty. N- that we believe that because the Bible teaches it, but it really causes us to come to a place of humility. Mm-hmm. Uh, it should deepen our faith. Wow, this is who God is. Mm-hmm. This is a more mighty king than I even understood. But then also it, it says to fear, uh, which means it's, it's, it's inviting us to live a life of reverence mm-hmm. towards the Lord. So I think for the sake of our listeners, for the sake of you and me, Michael, when we think about how this doctrine can be useful, it's really so that our, the posture of our hearts would be humbled mm-hmm. and that we would live in a reverent fear towards a king like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so our, our life becomes a life of repentance and faith, a life of enjoying mm-hmm. this sovereign king. And here's the shocking, remarkable thing. The sovereign king of the universe has offered a, a wicked sinner like me the opportunity to have deep mm-hmm. fellowship and relationship with him. Mm-hmm. There's the comfort. Yep. You know? Absolutely. So, good. I, and it just also salvation is so much more of a gift, like the definition totally. of a gift when we view it um, in Absolutely. a way that, that scripture also um, – just mm-hmm. alludes to, and that's that's one of the things that gives me comfort is the scripture just it can't the scripture can't help but allude to this doctrine. Um, yeah. it's very very clear. It is, it um, is, yeah, in a lot of ways. And um, yeah, I've been I would encourage people. You know, I haven't you know as a pastor in the Presbyterian Church, I, I've read the Book of Romans many, <laughs> many times. I, but I, I've gone back recently, probably in the last few months, and I've started reading Romans devotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I found so many things like that, the mm-hmm. idea of the gift, the idea of the reverence, the idea of fear and awe. Um, and, you know, so many of us are aware of Romans 9, which teaches on this very doctrine. Mm-hmm. But you can read Romans devotionally and realize this is meant to warm our hearts. Mm-hmm. It's not meant to make us cold or hard or arrogant. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, quite the opposite. Yep. So. Absolutely. Well, I think that covers it. I think it's a good comfort. Um Hopefully that helps some people. I think it definitely helped me. Um, um, Thank you, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yep. We will see you guys in the next one. Sounds good. Take care. All right, bye-bye.